Well, join me in Genesis chapter number 35 in your Bibles tonight. We are one week away from uh, Brother Bigham being with us, and uh, we're looking forward to our revival series, and we're uh, praying and seeking the Lord. I appreciate Sister Norma. She's asked me, she said, where were you Saturday? You weren't here for prayer. And uh, anyways, and I said, well, I was in Tulsa praying, uh, but uh, we are thankful to be back in our church family. We sure missed, every time we're gone, we are uh, we miss you, and we're thankful for you. Uh, you are our family, and we thank God for you. Well, here we are in Genesis 35, and we're just uh, continuing down this way of just preparation for revival. And tonight, I just want to deal with this issue of the pathway to revival and blessing. And we're going to see this out of the life of Jacob. Now, if you study much or if you were in physics class, how many of you took physics? A few of you. Okay, good. How many of you remember anything from physics? Okay, a few of you, more than I anticipated. Y'all were smarter than I was. I took a couple of years of physics in high school, and I don't remember much except for my buddy Doug was really smart, and I wasn't. But this is one of the things we studied was the second law of thermodynamics. And I'm going to give you the definition for the second law of thermodynamics, and I'll give you some illustrations of what that means, and we're going to apply that to where we're going tonight just by way of introduction here. But the second law of thermodynamics states that entropy in an isolated system that is not in equilibrium will tend to increase over time until it reaches a maximum equilibrium level. Y'all got that? Just so you know, if you're confused by what I just said, so am I. Uh, but uh, a matter of fact, many students who are, are in physics or are studying thermodynamics, they struggle with the second law of thermodynamics. So let me just kind of illustrate it, if you will. If you have a hot cup of coffee in the morning and you put it in a cup and you set it on a table and you come back 30 minutes later, is it still hot? No. What is it? It's room temperature, probably, unless you have a really good mug. If, you're, if it's like my mug, it's just a ceramic mug and you, get, and you take a drink and say, well, it's not as good as it once was. It's a little cool by now. Well, that is the second law of thermodynamics in action. And so if you don't apply any more energy to that water, uh, it will come to the same temperature of what's around it, okay? Uh, the second one is if you have a balloon. Anybody ever uh, blown up a balloon real big and, and maybe you've got a big one for a kid and then you put a little hole in it, what happens? All the air comes out, right? Sometimes it's a big boom, sometimes it's just, and it just leaks out. Well, that's again, is the same type of idea. The higher pressure transfers to a lower pressure. The second part of this law is that the perfect is impossible. So an example of that is if you are driving in your car and you are going down the road, you will notice, and behind your car is an exhaust, unless you drive a Tesla, but there's an exhaust coming out the back of your car. Well, that is an example of the fact that no matter how fuel efficient your car is, uh, that it's never going to be perfect. That transfer of enemy, enemy, of energy from gasoline to power in your motor, there's a, still some loss there. You can't quite make that perfect uh, example there. And another one is, is if, that, and maybe more visual here, is if you had a ball and you were to hold it up and you were to drop it, it would bounce off the ground and would come up, but not back to the same place to where it starts. There's that law where that transfer of energy is not exactly perfect there. And so, and it doesn't matter how good your ball is unless you're in a Disney movie named Flubber, then maybe you can get it to go higher, okay? 
But listen, this law is applicable in our world in all things, and so that's why we constantly apply energy to keep things hot. If you have a hot water heater, you're constantly, uh, your meter is spinning to make sure that hot water stays hot, or if you have gas, it's constantly coming off and on to make sure that that water stays hot because that law, second law of thermodynamics is in play. But there's a similar law, maybe we could call it the second law of godly dynamics, I'm not really sure, but, but when we are around those uh, who are less enthusiastic than ourselves, then our passion for Christ will also be dulled. And so this is the same kind of idea that's there. And so if we don't invest anything else into our relationship with God, then eventually it grows cold itself. And so we see this in the Scripture. We're going to see this in Jacob's life as well. But it takes constant energy to turn our eyes unto the Lord. And thus we need to constantly be investing in walking with God, constantly investing in godly relationships around us so that God can uh, use our lives. And this is uh, really the crux of what we're dealing with is this pathway to revival and blessing from God. And, and I really desire that God would help us to, uh, to grow in this effort that it takes. Because it does realize this, if I want to grow in Jesus Christ, it's not going to come because I sit down and watch uh, a movie. Uh, that may stir our heart. Like the last, uh, last Friday night, I think it was, my family and I, we sat down and we watched Sight and Sound's new release, David. And we watched this from the comfort of our, of our living room. And it was tremendous. It was a, just a, a great uh, stirring uh, rendition of David. Uh, but listen, if I want to go to the next step, then it requires effort. And that effort comes in the form of making sure that I uh, invest in my relationship with the Lord in prayer and Bible study. Because our natural response, if we just let things go as they are, I will grow lukewarm. Uh, I will be the same temperature as those around us. And so just as those that are cold around me, then I'm going to naturally tend toward that direction. And so if we don't consciously invest effort in our relationship with God, and then, uh, and if we're not, then we eventually lose our fervency. We lose uh, that, uh, that desire and passion for the Lord. And instead of being fervent, we become cold, dead, apathetic. Uh, we have a faith that has nothing and means nothing. Christ warns of this and gives us an illustration in Revelation chapter 3. You can look there in your Bible with me. Uh, so keep your hand in Genesis 35. We'll be there in just a minute. Revelation chapter 3. There is no PowerPoint tonight, so you'll have to use, uh, use your Bibles there. In verses number 15 through 18, we're going to read about this church in Laodicea. And really, this is the age in which we live, uh, in, and just people are becoming a little bit more uh, lukewarm in their relationship with the Lord. And so there is this tendency here, like I mentioned, to tend toward that, uh, that direction. So verse 15, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyes, that thou mayest see." 
So as we look here, we see Jesus gives us kind of that, uh, uh, that solution for this lukewarm heart and this lukewarm spirit. And when we become apathetic or maybe just even indifferent to the Lord, there is this call then to return to the Word of God. Remember, the Word of God is that thing that has been tried by fire. It is perfect. There's no, uh, it is perfectly inerrant. It is infallible. We can trust God's Word. And so it's a re- return then to the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God. And, and it, because it inflames the heart and inflames the life of the believer. It gets us excited about what God is doing. And the second advice he gives here is to, uh, to uh, improve our spiritual clothing, if you wear. And so he calls us then to wear this robe of holiness, uh, this robe of righteousness and justice and, and truth and mercy and, and love for the brethren. And so we see that God calls us then to continue in this, this desire. But also he mentions here in this last part to have a spiritual vision, to anoint thine eyes with eyesaf, to have this vision, this desire for the godly things. And so that's forsaking uh, the the life of sin, forsaking the love of this world. And then the the believer then yearns to acquire a sharp spiritual insight into the future, into uh, being able to have discernment, to be able to make decisions right and wrong, similar to how uh, King Solomon requested the Lord that he might have discernment, that he might be able to rule over his people. And so this is where Christ then admonishes this church in Laodicea. Listen, it's time to wake up. It's come back to a place where you're passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ again. But the only way to do that is by making sure, one, that you're in the Word of God. And that's why we have preaching lined up for next week. Secondly, that we take off and we put on. Just what Ephesians chapter 4 deals with there. And this putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And so the reason he calls them back to this place is because they had allowed entropy into their life. Things had disintegrated over time, that second law of godly dynamics, if you will. So look in Psalms chapter 119 with me. Well, Psalms 119 verses 9 through 11 in your Bibles there. It's about the middle of the Bible. Uh, If you open up the Bible right to the middle, you're going to find the book of Psalms. And then uh, just a little bit to the right, you should find Psalm 119 off from the center. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. And so God calls us then to guard our walk with Christ. And so that means being diligent to guard our time, being diligent to guard our hearts, and being diligent to guard our relationships. And he says in in Psalm 119, verse 9, he says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With, With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. And so we see here, as the psalmist writes and encourages us here, to have this this yearning, this desire, this this guard set about our life. And because God calls us to walk a pathway uh, that He's laid before us. And so He says in Psalms 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In verse number 10 through 12, he says, The wicked have laid a snare before, uh, for me. I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of mine heart. I have inc- inclined mine heart to perform thy statues always, even unto the end. Why would the, the, the psalmist write that? Because he knew that God's word was what he needed to keep his heart on the right path. He knew that God's Word, the Bible, was what he needed to help him stay in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that the Bible was a solution for growing apathetic. He knew the Bible was a solution for what he needed uh, to being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You see, he realized 
that he needed in his life to guard his heart and guard his life. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And you see, God warns us that we're to guard those areas because God recognizes that, that in the heart, that the heart is desperately wicked above all things. He said, Who can know it? And so God, God calls us then to guard those things. But he also calls us to guard our life. Because God says the heart aches uh, for the things of this world. Psalms, uh, Proverbs excuse me, 22 and verse number 5 says, Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. He, doth keep his, uh, he that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. And so God gives us a warning here that if we follow the froward, follow the ones that are very arrogant and proud, that, that we're going to be in trouble. But when we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, then we can be trusted that He will lift us up. That's the promise that we have from the Lord. And so he says in Psalms 28 and verse 26, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. And so where does wisdom originate, church? It comes from the Lord. All truth is God's truth. And so we come back to this, this place then where we come full circle and we realize that tonight above everything else, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. We need Him. And so even Christ guarded, encouraged those disciples to guard their heart in that hour of temptation when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was alone praying. They were asleep instead of praying. And He says, watch ye and pray lest ye enter in temptation. Now the Spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And so He guard, calls us to guard ourselves to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, this year we've been memorizing uh, Ephesians chapter 6 because our desire has been that God would help our lives to be strong in faith. We, we want to be able to trust the Lord no matter what may come, trust the Lord no matter uh, where He may lead us. And he says in Psalm, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 through 13, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And so God calls us then to this place where we can stand confident in His truth. Not wishy-washy, not going back and forth, but Lord, I want to just stand by you. And so that brings us back to Genesis chapter 35. And so I hope that you kept your finger there because we were coming full circle back to this. Because in the life of Jacob, we can find, we, we can learn a lot about how to grow from his experiences in Shechem and that how that God called him back to Bethel. You see, God, in the midst of all the problems he was going through in Shechem, God calls him back to this, uh, this place called Bethel. Now, Bethel means in the Hebrew, the house of God. It is the place where he first met God, the Lord, uh, and the very first time. And God calls him back to a place where he could remember, where he could remember all the blessings of God. God calls him back to this place where he could release all of those foreign idols that they, that they had picked up in their household. And God calls him really to reaffirm his relationship and his walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's look there together in Genesis chapter 35. We're going to read verses 1 through 15 together uh, as we begin here tonight. It says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. 
and arise, excuse me, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the day which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their land, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, and he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him, and he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, uh, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called uh, Elon Bak uh, Bakuth. Uh, that's a good guess. That's a Texas tongue right there. And God appeared unto Jacob again, and when he came out from Padan Aram and blessed him, and God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he, and he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out from thy, uh, of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee will I give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the life of Jacob, Lord, and his, his faith in you. Lord, we realize that he's a man just like the rest of us, often a deceiver, a manipulator. Lord, a man who connived to get his way instead of trusting in you. And so, Father, we know that tonight we can learn from this. Lord, he went through the school of hard knocks oftentimes because he wouldn't heed. But Lord, help us to heed, to hear, and to follow tonight. Lord, we need your help, Lord. Lord, this world, this world's in a, in a very difficult and dangerous place. And Lord, oftentimes our heart gets overwhelmed. But we're thankful, Lord, that we can come back to you. And Lord, we can find that you are the Lord God Almighty. So God, encourage our heart and draw us close to you tonight with full assurance that when we draw nigh to you, you draw nigh to us. In Jesus' name, I pray these blessed things. Amen. After Jacob, in Genesis 35, let me give you a little background here. Jacob was known as Jacob, the supplanter or deceiver. He was not a man who was a man of integrity in his younger years. And, and we could go back and we can recount the stories of how Jacob uh, deceived his brother, whether it be uh, his birthright or later when it, would, it, would, it would be uh, when he and his mother co-conspired together uh, for him to inherit the blessing of his father. But regardless, Jacob deceived his brother, and he escaped to Padan Aram. And that was north of uh, this, this area where Esau was, uh, and this was the homeland of Laban. It was uh, the homeland of his father-in-law, who was also his uncle. And for 20 years, he spent time working for Uncle Laban. And in, re in re exchange for those 20 years of hard labor, he received two wives, and, uh, and, and as well as cattle uh, that, uh, that he took with him out of that land. 
During that time, he married Leah and Rachel, and he had children, and God blessed him, and he was very fruitful, and as the Bible says, he multiplied greatly. But it was during this time that God led him back to his homeland, and as he is previously, uh, in just chapter 33, we see this reunion, in chapter 34, this reunion with Esau. And as they come back together, we see Jacob in chapter 34, and his sons are in this land uh, of Shechem. And it was here that they bought a parcel of field that Jacob uh, erected an altar and called it uh, El Elohil Israel, or God, the God of Israel. And it was here that we also account for Dana's defilement, and we see the murder of Shechem's house by Jacob's sons. And this action caused Jacob to be very fearful of the response of other people in the land. And you can see that in Genesis chapter 34. As a matter of fact, you can go back just a couple of verses, if you will, from where we just read. And it says in verse number 30, there in Genesis 34, verse 30. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me. To make me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. Did you hear the fear in his voice as he uh, rebukes Simeon and Levi here for what they have done? And you hear the, the fear, not trusting the Lord, but fearful of, of what would conspire against him. And so we see Jacob is fearful. His sons have done a truly a horrible thing of treachery and deceit. And that was, uh, has put this whole family then in jeopardy. And listen, consequences uh, or our deeds, our actions have consequences. And this, the consequences of this deed could be very disastrous. And so we see that Jacob realized uh, that they would have to move on. And so he, he said, man, we've got to get out of here. But he still, I love verse 35, as the Lord uh, talked with him here and he spoke with, uh, with the Lord and says, And God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. Now this, this to me is interesting, that God would call him out of this place of Shechem, out of this place uh, where he had met with Esau, back to this place where he had first met with God. You see, because there's a couple of things that, we, that I, I just want to point out here in this text. And the first one is that God wants us to remember. When we, before we can ever have a, a time of revival, I believe it's important that we also remember the blessings of God. God has richly blessed us in ways that we could never imagine. And man, I can't help but think about that little old song that we sing, Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You know, sometimes we, we have to just go back and remember, God, look at what you've done in my life. I remember back in, uh, in 1988 at that old, uh, that old concrete floor in our church, and our church wasn't, was a very poor church, and we had uh, just gone through a little bit of a, a scandal there in our church, and, and, and the pastor had run off with another woman, and, and we were just, uh, just barely existing as a little church. And, and I remember hearing the preacher get up and preach and, and, and realizing that I needed uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in, in my life. And so uh, that was my Bethel at Bible Baptist Church in Ennis, Texas, at that old altar. That was my place where I first met with God. I'm telling you what, God called him, listen, Jacob, it's time to go back to Bethel. It's time to go back to that place where you met with me above everything else. And Christian, let me just tell you, sometimes we need to go back to Bethel. 
We need to go back to this place where we first met with the Lord, where we first had our encounter with Him, where we were redeemed, where we were once again regenerated, and our life was transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we go back to there, we can be encouraged because a man that was on his way to hell is now a, a, a redeemed man. A man who didn't have anything good in him can now say, I am the Son of the Almighty God. You see, that place of Bethel is a, pro, a place of precious memories, a place of precious, uh, precious blessings, and, and listen, it's at that place at 2200 Enzyme Road in Ennis, Texas. I can still go back and I can still see that place where I knelt. And it's that, that, at that place where I met with the Lord. Can you remember the place where you met with God? Do you remember that place where you called upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you can go to that place where God brought you from a place of rebellion and you, He brought you and He broke your heart and He brought you up to a place of salvation? Oh man, I, we have to go back to this place. We have to remember what God has done. And God said unto Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God. He says, Remember what you have been through. Bethel was a place where God began to reveal himself to Jacob. If you go back to Genesis chapter 28 in your Bibles, we're going to look at a couple of places there where we see God really working in him, starting in verse number 13 here. We see in verse number 13, that God declared to him, he says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it into thy seed. Now, no doubt that growing up, Jacob had heard the stories of Grandpa Abraham and Isaac and how that they passed down from one generation to another and said, listen, God has given us a covenant. God has given us a blessing. God has given us His Word in this matter. And they grew up remembering and hearing these stories of the Lord. And, and, and he would remember when God led Abraham to divide the carcasses, and then God's presence walked through the midst of that, making this a covenant that God made with Abraham that was not conditional, that He would give him the land. And we see that, that God, uh, now on the other side, we see that God fulfilled that in a tremendous way. But God, listen, God promised uh, Jacob the same thing he promised his father and his grandfather. He says, I'm that God. I'm the one that, that you've heard about. I'm the one that you can trust in. I'm the one that has been with them, and I'm the one that will be with you. And he goes on in verse number 14. He says, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. Now remember, how many children did Abraham have? Legitimate children, let's put it like that. He had one. Now, he had one illegitimate child, but he had one seed of the promise. How many children did Isaac have? He had two. He had one child of the promise. He had Esau and Jacob. And then Jacob, we would learn later, would have 12, 12 children. But listen, when you only have a couple people in your family, and your family reunion is about 10 people, and you listen to God say, I'm going to make your seed as the sand of the seashore and as the stars in the sky. It takes a little bit of faith to believe God, doesn't it? And I, I, I'm not a very good mathematician. I'll be the first to tell you I have to, to count to 20. I've got to take my shoes off. But I can tell you that 10 people doesn't mean that it's not equal the same as the sand of the seashore. And what he was saying was, listen, just as I made those promises to them, I've made, made, made those promises to you. And though it, you seem small right now, and though you seem insignificant at this moment, listen, I've not forgotten the promises that I've made to pre previous generations. He goes on in verse number 14. 
Let's pick up 15. It says, And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. You see, it was here that Jacob became conscious of the presence of God. Here in Genesis 28, he realized it was not just dad's God. It was not just grandpa's God. This is my God. This is the one that that I serve. This is the one that I sacrifice to. Listen, truly the Lord is in this place is what he said. And he didn't even realize it. And so he realized that, that Bethel was the place he needed to be. It was a place where God met with him. It was a place of covenant as well. In verses 20 through 22, it says, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of, uh, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. God is calling Jacob back to this place where he received the promise of God and he gave a promise to God. He gave a commitment to the Lord. Listen, sometimes, you know, we, we go about our, our life and our business and, and everything just seems to pile up on us and we get to where we feel so overwhelming, overwhelmed by things and, and circumstances or fear in Jacob's life are driving him uh, back to the place where those commitments were originally made. Sometimes God uses frightening circumstances to bring us back to Him. Sometimes God uses a strained circumstance to bring us back to a dependence upon Him and back to that place where we say, God, I trust You. Lord, this is Your problem. Lord, this is Your situation. And Lord, I'm just going to trust You with this. With all my heart, Lord, I trust You in this situation. Through Jeremiah the prophet, God called the people back to Himself. And and we can go to, as a matter of fact, I invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 2. In your Bible, Jeremiah chapter 2. We'll be back in Genesis 35 in just a moment. But in Jeremiah chapter 2, we see that God called the people back to Himself. Back to that first love that they had for Him. And where they had made their commitment to the, uh, unto God. Where they said, all that the Lord says we will do. Like Jeremiah uh, or Joshua chapter 24, as they stood and said, listen, we're going to do whatever, you, whatever the Lord wants. They had strayed from that once uh, and, and many times actually. Uh, but Jeremiah 2, as, he, as he, uh, we hear the Lord crying out, and he says, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee. The kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness and in a land that, thou, uh, that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord. And the firstfruits of his increase, all that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob. And all the enemies of the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither, said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, and through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, and through a land that no man passeth through, and where no man dwelt. You know what God is saying? He said, you've left your first love. You've forgotten what it was. You remember that time when you walked through the wilderness and you loved me and you trusted me, but you've left all that behind. You see, the love in time of, uh, in time of espousal or engagement is pretty sweet, isn't it? There is, when you're espoused to someone or you're engaged to someone you love, there's no sacrifice that's too great. There's no distance that's too far to keep them away from the one you love. I remember uh, Kristen and I were dating and she was a 
uh, attending Howard Payne University in Brownwood, Texas, which is about three hours away. And so I remember uh, there would be Saturdays where she, uh, sometimes she would come back to Ennis and see her family and we'd be able to, uh, to see each other. And then there would be uh, times where I would drive all the way to Brownwood and spend just a couple hours with her just to turn around and come all the way back. Listen, there was no sacrifice too great. Why? Because I loved her. And, and God was saying, do you remember your love for me back then? Do you remember how precious I was to you back in that day? Do you remember your first love? I think this is what Jesus is trying to tell the church of Ephesus. Don't forget your first love. Remember those first days when you trusted the Lord. And so, secondly, we see, go back to Genesis 35. So we see this call, then, to remember the blessings of the Lord in verse number 1. Remember all that God has done for you. And church, what a blessing it is to be able to come before the throne of grace and say, Lord, you've been so good to us. Lord, you have been faithful. He upholds the stars with his mighty hand. He's the one that keeps everything working so perfectly and succinctly. He's the one that provides for us salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. But he also is the one that preserves his holy word so that we can know about it. Man, I'm telling you, we have a wonderful God, but even in a more uh, localized setting, we see God providing for us in tremendous ways. And, and I can't help but stop and say, Lord, thank you for your blessings on me. But we also see Jacob, in verse number 2, calls that they would release their false idols. In verse number 2, Then Jacob said unto the household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. You see what he said, listen, family, listen, you don't understand. You've picked up some things in this strange land. You've picked up some habits and, and some things that are, are not holy or not righteous. And, and maybe it began with Rachel when she stole those false gods from her father. Listen, we, we've allowed these things under our home, but God has reminded me it's time to go back to Bethel and we can't have this baggage anymore. Church, when we're ready for revival, we've got to cast off that weight and that sin which just so easily beset us and let us run the race that is set before us. You see, it's, Lord, I, I want to cast off these things and these burdens and these, the, this baggage that I picked up along the way. And God, I'm not going to carry it anymore. Lord, I'm going I'm to leave it there. And Lord, we're going back to Bethel. We're going back to the place where we can meet with you. You see, Joe, Jesus, when he was here, he spoke of the thorns that would uh, choke out fruitfulness in our, our life. He said uh, that they're the cares of our life for the deceitfulness of riches, even the lust for other things. And he warns us that, that soon he is coming. And when he comes for the church, he wants his church to be spotless. He wants his church to be clean. He wants his church to be ready for that day. Not hearts that are full of gluttony, not far, hearts that are full of drunkenness and the cares of this life. But instead, he calls us and said, listen, it's time, church, to make sure that our lives are prepared and ready. I don't know about you, but I believe that the Lord is coming soon. And I believe he's coming before we could ever uh, realize it. And, and with that belief, are we ready for him to appear at this moment? Is there something that maybe has some, some idols and some false gods that we've picked up along the way? Well, he mentions some of the things that typically creeps up into a life. And, and things that had been embraced by the Israelites were those, was the God of Mammon. The God of Mammon is the lust for power and possessions. It's the lust for all the things of this world. Even Jesus Christ was tempted in this same manner. When he was carried up unto the, the pinnacle of the temple there, Satan said, listen, I'll give you all of these things if you just bow down and worship me. Then there was also the, the goddess of Ashtoreth. 
and she uh, was the, uh, was the uh, one that worshipped sex, and she had this, this tremendous obsession with things of that nature. There was the god of Baal, who was the worship of intellect, and there was the god of Moloch, who was the worship of pleasure. And all of these things, we can see how these all correlate with things in our own life. Listen, a man may claim to be an atheist, but what he's really saying is he doesn't believe in the uh, God that's revealed in the Bible. Listen, there's no such thing as an atheist, I believe, today. We all realize, because God put in us this, this realization that there is a God, and one day we will, uh, we will, uh, we, God desires for us to worship. And so sometimes what we do is we allow other things to take the place of God Almighty. And those things become the things that we worship. Sometimes it can be position. Sometimes it can be pleasure. Sometimes it can be uh, 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 just the things of this world. Jacob, he saw these things in his home in verse number two, and he said, listen, it's time to put these things away. It's time to say, listen, Lord, you are more important than anything else in my, in your, in my life. And, and so we want to come back to this place where you are number one. Look at verse number three. He says, let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the day in which I went. And so Jacob said, listen, all my hope is in the Lord. Listen, I've allowed all these other things to come up between me and the Lord, but no more. God has spoken, we're going we're gonna to obey. God has, has mentioned, and we're going to follow Him. And so even in this moment, there was, as, as God worked in Jacob's life, so He desires to work in our life, that we would come back and flee these youthful lusts and come and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first time... We see this and we see his deceitful actions and all that had happened in Jacob's life where he lied and, and how that it was very deceitful and hurtful. And that thing caused him a broken relationship with his family. The second time was as a result of his own children. But listen, that second time he was fearful. The first time he was fearful. And I'm reminded what Psalm 56.3 says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. This simple verse I've taught to my children and oftentimes as we, uh, as, and, and our, we go through something that maybe is a little bit scary for my daughter, and I'll hear her quote that little verse, what time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. And we lay there in bed in those nights when the, the, side, uh, the sky seems to explode around us, and she just reminded her, my, reminds herself of this truth. You know what, David, uh, what, what Jacob did here? He said, Lord, what time I'm afraid I'm going to trust in you. Lord, all of these other things have gotten my eyes off of the thing that is the most important. Lord, all of these other things have gotten my attention away from you. So God, I'm just going to come back to this place of trust. I'm just going to come back to this place where I can rest in you. Because it's at Bethel we find that God is faithful. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5.24, God is faithful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. Listen, God desires for us to walk with Him, but the problem is sometimes we get our, our attention off of the Lord and onto these other things around us, and as we do so, what we find is that, that we create for ourselves a place of misery. You see, because if we think about hell, hell is the place that is completely void of the blessing and the protection of God. And when we leave that place where God wants us, and we walk away from where God desires us to be, and we're walking away from the one thing that brings the most satisfaction. So tonight, it's time to cast off false idols. 
It's time to cast off these things that, that pull us down and destroy a life. And then finally, one last thing tonight as we finish up. We see he reaffirms his covenant with God. Verse number 6 through 15 here uh, in the remainder of this verse kind of goes through this reaffirm, uh, reaffirmation process he has because God is going to bring Jacob back to basic truth. And so we must learn that the soul doesn't rest in miracles but in God's word. And so God reminds him, listen, uh, come back to Bethel. Well, if we, we go through here and we see a couple of things in verse number 7, uh, as we see that Jacob came to Luz, which was in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, and he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the, uh, the place El Bethel because there God appeared to him when he fled from the uh, face of his brother. Now, an interesting to note that uh, term El Bethel means the mighty God of the house of God. It was a step forward to get beyond just God's house, to get beyond Bethel and come to find God himself. And so God was telling Jacob, listen, you've not only left the house of God, but you've left my presence, come back to me. And so God, God worked tremendously in Jacob's life, but he also reminded him of some things that had gone on in his life. He changed, remember, he had changed his name from Jacob, the deceiver, to Israel. No longer was he the deceiver. Now God gave him something greater. Matter of fact, his name conferred on Jacob, uh, as we see that uh, uh, is defined as a prince. Uh, he, as a prince, he had power with God and prevailed as how Genesis 32 uh, reminds us. And so God reminds G uh, Jacob of his personhood, of who he is, that he is uh, someone that God had called out, that God had a plan for his life, and to remind him of his promise. You see, tonight, we need to be reminded that we serve an almighty God. He says, and the God said unto him, I am God almighty. Remember my promise. Remember that I've never left you. Remember that I have gone with you uh, day in and day out. He says, listen, it's time for you to put your eyes back on me once again. And you see, revival is really all about that, is coming back to the Lord and saying, God, we just want our eyes upon you and you alone. We're going to put off our idols. We're going to come back to this place where we met with you. And Lord, we want to walk with you day in and day out. We want to not just know what it is to have the house of God, but to know the person of God, the El Bethel in our life. Psalms 150 reminds us that he calls us to praise. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God. God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him in, uh, with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and organ. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise you, the Lord. And maybe tonight we just need to come back to the altar and say, God, Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for being a faithful friend. I want to thank you for walking with me day in and day out. God, I want to thank you for your goodness in my life and the salvation you provided. God, never let me lose that, that grateful heart. Never let me lose that, that heart of uh, a gratitude toward you because, God, I love you. And, Lord, maybe that's tonight your prayer tonight. But maybe you have uh, allowed false gods in your life. You've allowed things in your life that you picked up from the world. And, and these things, uh, they don't uh, hinder your relationship because your relationship with God is permanent, sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
but it does ruin your fellowship. And you say, Lord, I've allowed all these things to come between you and me. And Lord, I don't want anything else in that way. And so tonight, I just want to come back to the altar and say, God, forgive me. Lord, I put these things off. I repent tonight, and I want to come back to you. Or maybe you just want to come back to that place where you remember the covenant of God. Remember that He is the one that walks with us through the good times and the bad. He is the one that uh, it carries us through that valley of dry uh, uh, of the shadow of death. He is the one that can uh, raise those bones out of the valley of dry bones. He is the one that we can trust in. He is the one that we rest upon. He is the one that we can look to tonight. And oh church, when, when we get our eyes upon the Lord, I tell you, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be worried or consumed with all of the worries of this world because when our eyes upon Him, there's nothing else that matters. 